Welcome to Deutsche Bank's Mark to Market podcast, where we level set with global business leaders on vital topics that we face today. And now over to your host, Mark Fedorsik, head of the investment bank, in conversation with Jim Fitterling, CEO of Dow. ESG. It's clearly a very important topic. It touches many different areas. I'm going to talk about the four areas that you mentioned in the ESG report. But there was a quote first I'd like you to comment on because it's uh, it's telling how you think about it. And the quote from the 2021 sustainability report was, sustainable innovation and profitable growth are not mutually exclusive, but rather mutually dependent. Can you just elaborate on that? Well, I just I don't think the public will allow us to continue doing things the same way that we've always done them. Um, and so the challenge for engineers and scientists is to look at the equation and solve it instead of solving it for one variable, which is how do I make things the most inexpensive way that I can? Now I have to solve it for two variables. Maybe those two variables are inexpensive and no carbon emissions or inexpensive and fully recyclable. And, and so you know that's what engineers and scientists get paid to do is to do that. The reality is many of the, it all comes back to an energy equation primarily when you're talking about CO2 emissions, whether you're talking about automobiles or whether you're talking your utilities or heavy industry, it comes back to energy. And the reason we do the things we do is because they're very economical and hard to replicate. So if you want to move into a world where you want to have an eye on cost, but you want to get carbon emissions down, it is going to cost us more. But what we can't afford is that it costs us double or triple or quadruple the price, or in, in some cases like green hydrogen today, maybe 15 times the cost of what we do today. How does that resonate with your shareholders when you explain that to them? You have to go through it uh, like we went through it with them with a project that we're going to do in Canada. Our, our strategy is to not only decarbonize the footprint, but grow. It's not enough to just say, I'm going to spend all my capital to decarbonize. They want you to grow revenue. They want you to grow earnings. So you have to do both for them. But you look at a project <clears throat> like the one we announced in Canada, which will be the world's first um, mega scale project that has zero scope one and two emissions. To give you an example of the scale, it's 2 million metric tons per year cracker. It's about a $6 billion investment. So to do that with zero scope one and two emissions um, takes a little bit of engineering work. <laughs> but we've got it, essentially the engineering is just about done. And it's all existing technology that's available today. And you know, one of the beautiful parts of making ethylene and propylene is you take natural gas liquids like ethane, you crack it, you make ethylene, which is what you want, and you make methane and hydrogen. And the methane and hydrogen, methane is natural gas. The methane and hydrogen off the back end of the cracker are byproducts. So we'll take those through an autothermal reformer, which can be done at world scale today. Out of that unit operation, we can scrub the CO2 out very efficiently and sequester it. And that hydrogen that comes out of that autothermal reformer will fuel the cracker. So the cracker will have, and the autothermal reformer will have zero scope one and two emissions and the CO2 will get sequestered. So we'll do that project up in Canada. It will take that site, it will triple the capacity at that site, and we'll take the entire site to net zero when we're finished. That'll be 
of our global ethylene capacity. So that's all between now and 2030. Mm. And then we published in our ESG report, which just came out last week, a path to 2050. And what's behind the curve on that path is for every single manufacturing site and all of our you know, utility using sites like labs and office buildings, we have a plan from now to 2050 and the capital behind it to get to zero. 2050 is when you're gonna be carbon neutral. Right, right. And you know, to give you an example of the size of it, you know, our, our footprint on scope one and two emissions today is 35 million metric tons. We'll eliminate 5 million metric tons by 2030. And then we'll just continue to invest every year to bring that down. So when we built the last one of those facilities in Texas, it was a similar investment. Um, it is the lowest capital cost and the lowest uh, ethylene production cost of any of our competitors. It was a return on capital since we started up of greater than 15%. We think we can be greater than 17% on the Canada project. Um, it has 60% less CO2 emissions than the average of our fleet. And that was without any design work on trying to bring CO2 to zero. There was four key themes in the report. One, we talked about environmental performance. Mm -hmm. Carbon neutrality was a small piece. We don't have enough time to go into it. Yeah. The second piece was around um, diversity and inclusion, which I, wanted, which I want to talk, we were talking about it earlier. And there was one statistic in there that, that jumped out, um, partly because I don't have it for us, which is what percentage of the workforce participates in employee research groups? And it was 52.4%, Yeah, which is just shocking. High, yeah, in a positive way. And um, how do you do that? Very intentional. Everything we do around inclusion is very intentional. Um, inclusion is about the culture that we try to create at the company, and and culture. Our you know kind of our motto at work is culture eats strategy for lunch every day. The old Peter Drucker saying. And so if we create the right culture, we attract the right people that want to come and work for us. And part of our culture is. You need to be able to be you at work. You shouldn't be worried about who you are and you shouldn't have to leave anything at home. You should just come, be part of the company. We respect you for who you are and what you do at work. And we wanna create that culture. That helps us attract the right talent in. It also helps us get the talent that mirrors the people that we do business with. You were the first out person to ascend to become the CEO of a Fortune 100 company. Can you share for folks here a little bit story, your journey and the story? Sure. Yeah, so um, I was, um, David will remember this history. I know he's in the room. Um, it was about 2008, nine. Um, I was slated to become the CEO of KDAO, which was gonna be a spin out of, of Dow. And um, Dow was going to use the proceeds from that sale to buy Roman Haas. And it was, um, it was around the time of that deal that I was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And um, so, you know, the outlook wasn't really good. The deal, as you know, fell through on between Christmas and New Year at the end of that year and put down in a really tough financial situation. So I went into work um, in corporate development after having had a lot of surgery and facing a year's worth of chemo. And I did a lot of soul searching during that time. And I decided that there were a lot of stresses in my life that I could eliminate. Um, not that I 
would ever be able to prove that those were a cause of cancer or not. But I said, look, this is a wake up call. You're very lucky to even be here. What are some things that are going to change? And one of them was um, I needed to quit living a different life at work than I did away from work. For most of my Dow career, I moved 10 times with Dow. I lived in uh, four countries in Asia for 11 years. I lived in Atlanta. I lived in Midland. But I, I moved enough that I never really felt the pressure to do that. And big cities, there's always a little bit of anonymity. You could live your life and you could go to work. And I never really thought a lot about how much you know, of myself I left at home when I went into work until I had that time to reflect on it because of the health issues. And so I came back out of that and I talked to my boss. Once I knew that I was healthy and I was gonna be okay, I talked to my boss, and at the time I was in running to be the chief operating officer, and I told him that I was going to come out, and um, and he was very supportive, and uh, I said I was worried about the COO opportunity, and he said, you don't need to be. He said, you need to, um, he said, if you're worried about the board members, he said, just get the plane and go see each one of them and talk to them face to face, and I said, okay, and so I did. Um, I went and saw each board member. There were 12 of them uh, face to face. And to a person, every one of them said, this is the right thing for you to do. Don't think twice about it. We're 100% behind you. And I think a lot of times people in an organization the size of Deutsche Bank or Dow would think, do I have that air cover? I have that support to make that happen. But let me tell you, that's, that's big when you go look them in the eye and they tell you that. And then I came back and I was just gonna do this. I was gonna just write a note to my team and come out. And I was like, no, and everybody was like, no, 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 we're not doing it that way. This is gonna be, you know, we gotta plan and manage everything. <laughs> so um, um, the team actually, the ERG, the GLAD ERG, we sat down and talked and I got connected to Todd Sears at Out Leadership and Sarah Kate Ellis at GLAD. And the two of them and their teams helped me put together a game plan on how to do it. And that was important because I had a friend, um, I had a close friend in DC who had been outed um, and that wasn't a great picture. And I said, look, you got one chance to do this. You get to tell your story. Um, if it happens the other way around, you know, who knows what the outcome is gonna be. So we got ready and we did it on a webcast on coming out day. Um, and there were 53,000 employees. This was before Dow DuPont. There were 53,000 employees at the time. So that's a little nerve wracking to do that. Um, but the feedback from everybody was positive. And I like the title of shattering the rainbow ceiling. What I always say is I think we lifted the lid on a discussion that might have happened in the hallways, but wouldn't have happened in the big room. Mm -hmm. And it changed the nature of everything. Like we can have very candid conversations at work about just about anything. Uh, we can have open discussions about things that happened like the court ruling last week. We can have um, groups uh, take their own action. We've had a group down in Louisiana, um, you know, just on the spur of the moment, one day found out at the end of Bobby Jindal's term mm. that they were going to push um, push a legislation through that was anti-LGBT. And they didn't have to check with anybody. <laughs> they, they just got one of the vans at work and they loaded up 11 
people and they went down to the Capitol building and they met up with some friends from IBM and they protested against the legislation and basically kept it from ever getting on the floor. Um, so that's the kind of thing that happens. I, I think that's what happens when you get the culture right and you get the environment right, is it drives the company, not the other way around. I wanna go back to um, your story when you went and visited 12 different board members. Yeah. What advice do you have based upon your experience, if you can sort of sum it up and, and give advice to two groups of constituents, individuals that haven't come out, mm -hmm. and then also to the individuals who can play a role as being an ally? Yeah, I would say um, I, I never look back from coming out. I never realized I was going to have to come out a lot, you know, so it's, it's like a never ending <laughs> process, but um, I never look back from coming out. The only times I've ever looked back at the whole process was to help somebody else who's going through it again, you know, just to look back and say, what did we do and what was the right way to handle it? And that's always very positive. Um, I would tell you that the old saying that there's like a physical weight that's lifted off your shoulders is very true, but it's physical and it's emotional too. Um, I didn't realize how much time I spent trying to keep separate life separate and how much stress that put on me and, and how exhausting it was. And, um, you know, I was never, I was never really worried about, you know, necessarily being able to come to work and, you know, talk about family conversations and things like that. But I had kept it so compartmentalized for so long that it just never crossed my mind. And so if anybody's worried about it, I would just say to them, you're selling yourself short. Uh, the world can handle it, and you owe it to yourself, and nobody else is going to look after you. You owe it to yourself to go do this. You'll feel better. You'll be more productive. You'll be a better person for having done it. People from the outside will come up and tell you that you're different after you've done it and that you're better and that the way you treat other people is better. A big thank you on behalf of not just the Deutsche Bank colleagues, but also the clients that are here First, the relationship DB has with Dow, very important. So thank you for that. But more importantly, for the leadership, the role model um, that you've taken and being here today, we really do appreciate it. So thank you very thank much. You.